Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Lord, would you please, please teach us how to pray? All right, disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a peculiar prayer, this Lord's Prayer. And because we've prayed it so many times in so many places with so many people, we often no longer think about what we say when we pray. We begin with talk of heaven and holiness. Then things get political with calls for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. And then this already strange prayer gets even stranger. Hey, Lord, give us some bread. What is Christianity all about? Why do we do all these things that we do? These are worthy questions for our consideration. Frankly, they're questions that we rarely consider at all. We simply do what we do because that's what we do, which frankly is fine and even good at times. We are habituated by our habits. You do something long enough, it becomes part of who you are. But Christianity, whatever it might be, is not something relegated to creeds and to dogma and doctrines. It's not some otherworldly ephemera floating out there somewhere that we will one day encounter. Christianity is actually very materialistic. It's something we can touch and see and hear and smell and even taste. If, on the other hand, Christianity is a retreat from the material world, then it's not a very good retreat. All of you are still sitting here in an old building, sitting in somewhat comfortable pews. You're listening sometimes to old, but today, new music with smells of carpet, perfume, and if you're lucky, the wafting of the casseroles that are cooking down in the basement. And shortly, you're going to have some bread and some grape juice stuck to the roof of your mouth. It's very materialistic, very earthy. Christianity is not about getting away from all of this. It's about how God transfigures all of this. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Why is this what Jesus commands us to pray for? Perhaps the, the prayer for bread is a reminder that our lives, like our food, are gifts from God. Gifts without which we would perish. And thankfully, we worship the Lord who loves to feed us. Have you ever noticed how much food there is in the strange new world of the Bible? I mean, food is everywhere. It's at the very beginning. What's the first thing, first dynamic action? Our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they reach for the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. You know, not supposed to do that, but they do it anyway, and they eat. Abraham entertained strange guests with curds and milk and a roasted calf. The Israelites prepare a lamb as their meal for the Passover. I took a cursory glance at my Bible this week, and here is just a sampling of all the foods I found. Apples, almonds, dates, grapes, figs, melons, cucumbers, leeks, lentils, onions, barley, corn, millet, wheat, fish, quail, goats, lambs, sheep, butter, cheese, honey, coriander, cinnamon, dill, garlic, mint, mustard, salt, and bread. Through this prayer... This petition in particular, it's as if God is reminding us about the fragility of life, that we are dependent on creation, that we are all caught up in it together. In other words, the essentials to life are also the essentials to faith. See, Jesus, Jesus is doing his Jesus thing, garners a crowd. He looks on them 
Scripture says with compassion. They are like sheep without a shepherd. He speaks about the kingdom of God, but his sermon goes a little long. You all don't know what that's like. His sermon goes a little long, and people get hungry. Hey, JC, Peter starts. I think it's time to wrap it up. Probably time to drop that final amen uh, so everybody can swing by Chick-fil-A on their way home. But Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. Why don't you give them something to eat? Lord, uh, we're not flush with cash at the moment. I, I know you're not aware of the common purse that we've been spreading around. Uh, have you seen the size of the crowd today? Not even the golden corral could fill these people up. Well, Jesus says, what have we got to work with? Got a couple loaves of bread? Some fish sticks? Let's see what I can do. And he takes the bread and the fish, he blesses it, and he starts sharing it. And somehow, they all leave filled it's this amazing, amazing story. Amazing story. Robert Farrar Capon, he writes this book where he reimagines the gospel as if it happened in 1980 in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And Jesus is not a son of a carpenter. He's a short order cook. And he's uh, talking to the crowd one day, and he needs to multiply some food. So instead of having loaves and fishes, he gets a pizza with anchovies on it. Get it? Loaves and fishes. But he somehow blesses it enough that it feeds all these people. It's amazing that Jesus has compassion on those who are hungry. He is the Savior for whom hunger runs counter to the kingdom. He is the Lord who, oddly enough, experiences hunger and thirst. It's important that the God we worship knows of thirst and knows of hunger. The incarnation is the declaration that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. There is nothing in the human experience that God is not aware of, which is why the prayer for daily bread is all the more compelling. Yes, we hallow God's name. We pray for God's kingdom. But when it comes to us, we begin by praying for bread. Now, bread, bread is old, very old. God gave plants for cultivation that we might bring forth bread to strengthen our bodies. In Scripture, Melchizedek, the king, he offers bread to Abraham. The Israelites, they bake unleavened bread for their exodus out of Egypt. Jesus, of course, feeds the multitudes with bread. He calls himself, as Nicholas so wonderfully noted, he calls himself the bread of life. And notably, he's born in the town of Bethlehem, which means the town of bread. And in one of the most wild and often overlooked parables, Jesus compares God to a female baker who puts the yeast of her kingdom in the dough of creation and makes bread out of the world. Bread is everywhere. And without bread, we're dead. And yet the bread at either end of our sandwiches, the bread that's left haphazardly on our restaurant tables, even the bread many of us learned how to bake during the pandemic, is different than the bread of the Eucharist. At the Lord's Supper, we are consumed by that which we consume. We are what we eat. We are made participants in God's body so that the story of the gospel might be made manifest in the ways we live and move and have our being. The bread and the cup at this table, it incorporates us into God's adventure of salvation for the world. I've been saying this every week during the series that we say the Lord's Prayer so many times in so many places with so many people that we, we don't think about what we say when we pray. And I think that's also true of communion. I mean, how many times have we come forward with our hands outstretched? How many times back in the days when we used to kneel at the altar rail and had those little thimbles of grape juice? 
How many times have we done this? Have we done it enough to know what we're doing when we do it? I don't think so. I don't think so. The truth of the matter is that none of us know what we're doing when Jesus gives himself to us. Not even the most theologically sophisticated among us knows what we're doing, and that's good. The disciples surely had no idea what they were getting into, or perhaps more aptly put, what was getting into them when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. What happens at the table, it confounds our speech. These things here are actually more real than real. They cannot be contained by our words because they are the grace of God. Which is another way of saying that the business of the church, the most important business of the church, happens at a table. If someone were to ask you uh, what you believe about God or what it means to be a Christian, you need not point anywhere than a table and a bunch of strangers who eat around it together. Bread is a familiar thing, common even. You can go to Kroger after church. You have more choices of bread than you can handle. The table is also familiar and common. We eat at our tables daily, alone, with family, with friends. But our Lord delights in taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. The Lord loves to intrude upon the familiar and claim it as God's own. The Lord rejoices in taking those everyday occurrences and point to the ways in which time is changed in Jesus. You see, the table, this table, it actually it cuts through time. The big seminary word is it's diachronic. It goes across time. When we feast here, we're not just feasting with the people who are in our midst. We're actually being united with those who came before us, those who are here with us, and those who will be here long after we're gone. Of all the things Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to, mustard seeds and yeast and all sorts of stuff, the thing he compares it most to is a feast. Whenever we eat together, we are getting a taste of heaven on earth. As Christians... If we want to meet God, we don't have to hike to the top of Mill Mountain, though you can drive if you'd like. You don't have to drive up to the top of Mill Mountain. You don't have to go see the Roanoke Star. You don't have to go fast in the wilderness for 40 days. You don't have to become a hermit living in a cabin. If you want to meet God, the only thing you have to do is break bread in Jesus' name. And importantly, Jesus says, pray for our daily bread. It would be a very different prayer if he said, pray for my daily bread. It's our bread. It might not seem like much of a distinction, but words matter. Our words matter. Particularly in a time when it seems like depending on anybody else is a failure. The truth is we're actually all dependent on each other all the time. We just don't want to admit it or even acknowledge it. No bread comes to our table without the work, the sacrifice, and the gift of other people that we don't know. That we can't even properly thank. And that's true for more than just bread. To be completely and totally self-sufficient is almost impossible. All of us are products of other people who in ways big and small make our lives possible. Just as we are products of the Lord who calls life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. None of us know what will happen when the Lord shows up in our lives. We don't know what will happen when we pray this prayer, and yet we do know that the Lord calls us to share it. In a time when sharing is all but gone, it's all the more important for us to be gathered in the lost and forsaken to share the meal together. For whenever we eat and feast with Jesus, 
we are offered the strange and wondrous community that we call church. Jesus is the bread of life, born in the town of bread, who calls us to pray for our daily bread, which means, of course, whenever we pray, we're also praying for our daily dose of Jesus. So I'd like to invite those in the band who are playing our third song to come forward. And while they do, I'll remind you that on the first Easter, on the first Easter, there are two disciples who are walking to a little town called Emmaus. And while they're walking, there's this stranger on the road, and they're talking about everything they've seen and heard in Jerusalem. And this stranger says, oh, hey, um, what are you all talking about? And they say, are, have you been living under a rock? Which is great, because Jesus has been living under a rock. Have you been living under a rock the last three days? Have you not heard what happened? He says, what things? Jesus, the one we thought was here to save us, he was crucified, dead, left, forsaken in the tomb. And this figure on the road starts to talk to them about Scripture. He starts to interpret the Scriptures to them. They talk for so long while they're walking that, that night starts to fall, and they're, they're in a town, and they say, Hey, stranger, why don't you stay with us for dinner? He says, okay, I'll, I'll stay with you for a little bit. And the three of them, they, they sit around this table, and the strange figure, he takes a loaf of bread, and he lifts it up, and he prays for it, and he breaks it. And in the breaking of the bread, Scripture says, their eyes are opened, their vision breaks through, and they realize that it's Jesus. That he's been with them the whole time, and then he disappears. And what do they do? They run all the way back to Jerusalem because they can't wait to tell all their friends what they've seen and what they've heard. That's why we worship the way we do, uh, because of the Emmaus story. God gathers them on the road. God speaks God's word. They respond to what God says with the breaking of the bread, and then they're sent forth with a message as heralds of the kingdom. That's, that's what we do every week. God gathers us here. We proclaim God's word. We reinterpret God's Scriptures, we respond to it with things like offering and communion. And then God sends us forth. We do what we do every week because of Emmaus. What happens at this table gives us the strength and the courage and the conviction to live according to God's ways instead of our own. It might not seem like much, this little piece of bread and this Welsh's grape juice, but it is enough to truly transform your life in ways seen and unseen. So we are going to have uh, communion in just a moment. I've, I've lifted the altar off of the chancel area and brought it down here on the carpet. It's very heavy, by the way. I brought it down here because I want us to, to think about this differently. I'm often struck by how I stand behind the table and I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to do all this stuff. And then I stand as if the table isn't part of it anymore. But this is God's table. The table that we're invited to, just like the tables that we're going to be eating at downstairs. And so in just a moment, when you come forward, I'm going to offer you bread across the table as if we are feasting at it together. And when I offer it to you, you can take it, and then I want you to dip it in the cup here on the table, recognizing that it is a table around which we feast. So this is given to you through God's table, that you might have a sense for what happens downstairs is also connected with what we're doing right here. It's also connected with how you eat dinner tonight and how you eat breakfast tomorrow. It's all of a piece. 
So this is our time of offering. After I pray, I'm going to invite you all to come forward. If you have an offering you'd like to share with the church, you can leave it in the offering plate at the rear of the sanctuary. Otherwise, just come forward. Come forward to receive this gift of God, this grace of God for you. So let's pray. Lord, we are mindful that though we consider ourselves half-decent people most of the time, that we're really not all we ought to be. There are things we've done that we shouldn't have done. There are things we've left undone that we should have. And yet, like those disciples who walked to Emmaus, you come to us anyway. No matter how much we know or don't, you reveal yourself to us in Scripture and in fellowship and in sacrament. And so as unworthy people, O Lord, we are beckoned to this table to receive our daily dose of you. Help us in some way to see not only what we are getting into, but what is getting into us, you. Help us to see that we, those sinners, are forgiven in the light of your grace. Of course, Lord, we also remember that fateful night in which you gave yourself up for us. Your son took a loaf of bread, he broke it, he gave it to his friends and said, Take and eat, this is my body, I'm giving it for you, do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, remember that when the supper was over, your son took a cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his friends and said, Take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we are here to remember. To remember and anticipate what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. So, Lord, I am bold to pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and cup, by your Spirit, make them be for us the body and the blood of your Son. That in feasting we might be more like his body, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, Lord, make us one with each other and one in ministry to all people in all places. This day and every day. And help us as we pray that prayer you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.